And I'm, I'm actually a really big scaredy cat, I, which is really odd because I think back at some of the crap I did when I was living in Africa, and I'm like, what the... Stevens. I am the New York Times bestselling author of the Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is my crazy podcast where we're me and my good friend Steve Campbell are winging it. We are talking about many aspects that go into the book, but particularly so as they relate to The Mask, which is the next one that's about to release on June 30th, and we are answering often asked questions and talking about fun stuff, and I hope you enjoy it. You are getting so good with these intros. I'm not even ne- I'm not even needed on this any longer. So I'm no, just no, I'm just no, going to no, no. turn my mic off and be gone. Um, but I did have one question left over from last week for for those of you who remembered. Last week we talked about the mask specifically and some very specific things about Japan, and we were talking about hostess clubs. And in this episode, we're going to talk about how much of Vanessa Michael Monroe is based on you, because I know that's a question that you get probably in every interview. So I had a question last week, and that question is, did you dress as a man and go into a hostess club? And if so, tell us what it was like. No, I didn't. <laughs> I did not. Oh, what a bummer. So just but, in case you think we we actually prepare for these questions ahead of time, you know that we don't. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea what you were going to ask. I'm like, oh, man, I wish I could have given you a much better answer than that. So, um, yeah, no, as you were saying that, I was thinking about how um, how I get that question about Vanessa Michael Monroe and how much of she is based on me so often. And I well, think let's, let's of, give some background first. Yeah. So I was going to say, I think a lot of that is because um, I was born and raised in a religious cult. And um, that's a very unusual setting for an author, I think, supposedly, especially when you only have a sixth grade education, because I still only have a sixth grade education. I, I joke a lot with my readers when I'm doing events and stuff that I really hope this uh, author thing works out for me because I don't have a plan B. <laughs> Still can't do math. Um, and so, you know, you've got this author with the, from this, this background that you would presume would lead to a lot of angst and rage and unhappiness and just general being miserable. And then you have this character who is almost like wish-fulfilling in these very graphic, violent ways and these stories. And she was raised by missionaries. and um, so you have unusual author with an unusual background. You have somewhat unusual character. And I think it's really easy for people to conflate the two and think that what I'm really doing is writing true life um, or that I'm writing me into the character. And it used to make me so just seriously roll eyes. How could you even think that? And I'd be like, you know, just... Do people think that Stephen King is Carrie? Not like I'm putting myself on the level of Stephen <laughs> King, but hey, everybody knows who he is, right? Even me. Um, and and I was just like, I didn't understand it. But then I got to thinking about it, and I realized, wow, that's actually a huge compliment. Because the only way for someone to come at the author and say, how much of this is based on you, is because that character feels really real to them. And that's like the ultimate compliment. I wrote a character so real that people thought there's no way that this wasn't the author. Okay. 
cool beans. <laughs> I can work with that. So now when people say, oh, how much of this author, this character is made I mean, up on you? And now keep in mind, this is a knife-wielding, bloodlust <laughs> woman who fights her own urges to kill because she, she likes it. And I look them dead in the eye and I say, yeah, all of it. <laughs> That's fun. Um, and then they slowly back away. Yeah, it's just really hard for me to keep a straight face, though. You know, some of the story is set in Dallas. You live in Dallas. I picture you racing around on a motorcycle, uh, pulling up somewhere, taking your helmet off, checking to make sure you've got the knives wherever they're tucked away, and then going about your business. That's the way it is, right? Yeah, totally. Totally the way it is. You should see me at HOA and PTA meetings. Man, I get crap done. (laughs) I, I bet uh, people are willing to volunteer when you ask. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, 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 I take it as a compliment now. Um, but no, it's, it's not me. But there, there is a lot of realism in these books. Uh, this, this character is, I, I fully admit, she is just at the edge where it's not believable or believable. Like Jason Bourne, for example, it, I mean, when you really think about the guy and, and everything that he can do and stuff, it's just right there pushes the edges of the boundaries. You know, a couple more notches over and we might be moving into superhero territory. And the same with Jack Reacher and, and uh, Mitch Rapp and some of these, you know, bang, bang, shoot em up characters that we love because they go and kick bad guy booty. And so Vanessa Michael Monroe is right there with him. And as far as I know, she's the only female in that galaxy of men in the, the sort of boots-on-the-ground thriller, realistic genre. And these books are all international. And so what I do is, knowing that I have this character that's just kind of pushing the envelope there in believability, is I ground the stories in very authentic detail. So the plots and the, the locations and the settings are all very authentic. And that's what gives them this feeling of realism that causes people to go, so how much of this is based on you? <laughs> so. All right. Now, let me, let me, I, you've given a very complete answer, but I, I'm going to dig in a little bit further. In the earlier books, more so than the later books, there were a lot of biblical quotes. Yeah. I, is that something that was drilled into you as a child? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was, I don't even remember who I was telling this to just a couple of days ago that there was a time in my life where I could quote like 55 chapters out of the Bible, just wow, rattle them off. And that doesn't even count like verses, the individual verses. And I, and the, there's one, I mean, okay. So the way that you keep all of this stuff in your head at the time was you reviewed it a lot. You, you were every day going back over this material. But there are a couple of chapters that I haven't reviewed in, I don't know, 20 years more. And because, you know, there, I stopped doing it even when I was still in the cult. And um, even now, I can rattle them off. They're that ingrained in my head. So when I, when I first wrote this character, I wasn't basing it on me. But, you know, that idea, that concept of, you know, memorizing scripture as a way to please a parental figure, I, I, I could get with that concept. And because that's why my character, that's why Vanessa Michael Monroe did it as a child to please her, her absent father. So those, those 
things are there in her head always going on. And, and when this, the story, the first book opened, she would recite them as a sort of a, a soothing. It was these voices in her head that soothed her or compelled her. And as the stories have gone along, they've become fewer and fewer. And sometimes they don't even exist at all because some readers found them distracting. And I'm just like, well, if nobody's getting it, then, you know, it's not, it's not critical. And so I didn't just do a, they were there and now they're not, but I did them. And then slowly they became fewer and fewer. And now I just sometimes don't even bother with it. Yeah, I actually, I actually thought it might've been that it was so difficult to, because the, the quotes always related directly to what was going on, either what was firing off in her brain. And a lot of times there are there's a lot firing off in her brain or something that just happened or something that she's kind of stealing herself to, to go into battle and the right quote just comes up. It's got to be, well, uh, let me ask you, did, did you just know the right quote for those things? or some, some of them I did, actually, but some of them I just knew where to look. I'm pretty familiar with the material, let's just say. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Motorcycles. Yeah. Have you ever ridden a motorcycle? I have ridden them. What um, kind? Uh, I don't even remember. Okay, but not uh, those super expensive... Yeah, uh, rocket. Okay, and, and do you zip around at like a, a zillion a miles an hour? No, I was just a passenger, and um, I, I don't know how to actually ride a motorcycle on my own. And I'm, I'm actually a really big scaredy cat, uh, <laughs> I, which is really odd, because I think back at some of the crap I did when I was living in Africa, and I'm like, what the bleep what is I thinking, you know, really dangerous stuff of, of places I went and things that I did without even giving it a second thought. Because when you live in that environment, it just becomes part of what you do, you know, just life there. And you're, you become desensitized to it. But in retrospect, I look back and I'm like, like, holy crap. So, um, so by nature, I'm, I'm a Frady cat and I'm sure that I could desensitize myself to things like motorcycles and whatever. And not care. And it gets easier as my kids get older because I'm not so afraid anymore of what happens if I'm not there for them. Have, but, you, ever, have you ever thrown a knife? Yes. But a long, 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 long time ago. And, I, and I, until you asked me that question, I, I hadn't even thought of it. So it played no bearing whatsoever. <laughs> Did you hit what you were throwing it at? Um, well, the target was really hard for the knife to stick. So it's hard to say because it was in Africa and it was a, a, just a piece of wood. So, but I think I did um, a couple of times, but it was just this random thing. It wasn't like a part of practicing for anything in particular. It was just like killing time and, hey, let's throw this knife and see what happens type thing. All right. The, your first book was The Informationist. The yeah. second book took place, well, uh, uh, Monroe and her friends went to rescue someone who was in a cult. Yes. And that's the innocent. Yes. Um, did you write that as a way of answering questions or uh, did this further the questions? No, I, I did the innocent as a way to answer questions. Um, I, I, when, when the information is published, so much was conflated between me and the character. And, and so many people were like, well, what was it like growing up? What was it like growing up? And when I had written The Informationist, I did it as a way to take somebody's hand and say, hey, let me show you what it's like living in this land that time forgot, and I'm going to make it really exciting while I do it. Because for me at the time, you know, having still been freshly out of the cult and having not been able to read uh, fiction growing up, I didn't really have a good grasp of what 
books were. I didn't have, I didn't understand genre or any of that, but I had read a few thrillers. I had read Robert Ludlum. And so I was like, well, I'm going to make this book exciting. That's what I understood novels to be. So I wrote about Equatorial Guinea and I made it exciting. And Monroe, Vanessa Michael Monroe, the character was born out of that. So when it came time to write the second book, I was like, well, you know, this, the story of what happened to me and thousands of other children growing up in this movement, it, we've never had our own voice. It's always told from some sensationalistic point of view or, you know, it's always been appropriated by somebody else for whatever their reason is. And so I was like, well, I'm going to do this for us. And it's dedicated to, to those who didn't survive because, but I, need, I needed to make it exciting too, because, you know, expectations. And I, I didn't want to do a memoir, because, and I still really don't, because what happened is so much bigger than just one person. And, you know, I could write about my own personal experiences, but I didn't experience the worst of, of what went down. But when you're writing a story that deals with the big picture, you can, you can tell everybody's story, and you can compress it into three weeks, 30 years into three weeks. So The Innocent is a little bit different from all the other books in the series because it is not as edge of the knife. There's not as much killing in it. It's a lot more psychological and emotional. And most of the story is true. It is, it is not based on a single event that happened, but everything that happens in that book is a fictionalized account of something that happened in real life to one or many people. And I, I never go into detail about what actually happened to me because it's not about me. It's, it's, it's not my story. It's bigger than that. So The Innocent is different in that is the most true out of all of these books. And the closest thing that anyone can say, how much of this is based on you? Well, all of it and none of it in the case of The Innocent. <laughs> but I'm not Vanessa Michael Monroe, and I'm not Hannah, and I'm not any of those characters in the book. But they speak for, for all of us in that sense, those who, who want to be spoken for. And I, I really tried hard to make it a book that people from my background could be proud of and not feel like they'd been exploited. And so far that I've, the feedback that I've gotten has been very positive. I'm maybe there are those out there who are just like, yeah, that I haven't heard from them. All right. So we've talked about the, the informationists. We've talked about the innocent. We're all the way up to the mask. Now the mask is being released on June 30th. So what in, in your life experience, it goes, comes into play with, with the mask. I think with the mask, it's really about visiting the location. I, I spent five years in Japan, and of course, five years of my childhood are, is a very different Japan than what is there right now. But I wanted to go back, and I didn't have enough of a basis that I could write about it from any level of uh, knowledge. So I had to go back if I was going to place a book there. So if there's anything from real life, my real life, that found its way into that into the mask it's that it takes place in the osaka kobe kyoto and hiroshima areas can you say that again really slowly that that was impressive osaka (laughs) even the dog liked it (laughs) i know i'm gonna shut the door okay osaka kobe kyoto and hiroshima um those cities i spent a lot of time in as a child spent a lot of time on those streets i mean i've been to tokyo i've been to uh, Nagoya, Nagano, um, Fukuoka. I, I mean, I was in Japan for five years and we moved around a lot. But I don't remember a lot of those places because so much of it was spent inside the communes. So you just have this sort of vague sense of where you are. But with Osaka, 
I was out on the streets a lot. So that's where I decided to go and where I decided to set this book, even though the story itself has nothing to do with my own life. And for people who are curious about uh, your time back then, we actually talked about that in episode one of this podcast. So go back and listen to that. And if you go back and listen to episode one, then listen to all the rest of them because we yeah, would because appreciate it. Fun. Yes, we are having fun <laughs> and we're getting better at it as we go along. I, I think uh, yeah, these intros are really here. getting good. Okay, the book's coming out on June 30th. Where can we buy the book? Everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere books are are sold, you can buy this book. You might have to ask for it. Um, You can get it in a library, too. If your library doesn't have it, ask your library to get it. I don't care. I just want you guys to read it and have fun with it. Yes, you can pre-order the book. The book comes out on June 30th. You can pre-order at Barnes & Noble or iBooks or Google or Amazon or Indiegogo. You can find links to all these things on Taylor's site, which is www.taylorstevensbooks.com. And you can, there's a connect with me button up there. Fill out the little web form. Come be one of my cool kids. There's so much more of this stuff in email. If you like getting emails, you'll hear from me, hopefully not too often. Um, And I would love to hear from you, especially if you like my books. I would love to hear from you if you like my books. And if you like what we're doing on this podcast, give us a rating or a review at iTunes or just click that little star button on your iPhone if you listen that way. And we will talk to you again next week when we're going to learn from Taylor how we can get her to come to our town. See you later.